You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Talking Texas podcast. I'm your host, Hudson Standish, joined by my friend, co-worker, Mike Roach. Mike, it's a big week. What are your thoughts off the top? We're talking a little team, talking a little Texas football. Thoughts off the top are it's a tough week, a tough day as we're recording this for several members of the 24-7 sports recruiting team. Me, Brian Doan, Blair Angulo, all Liverpool fans, all no. Liverpool just get embarrassed in their first Champions League game today. But I hear there's a chance that, you know, we could watch a team get embarrassed again this weekend. <laughs> that, that is that is the glass half empty uh, perspective for sure. It's not easy to go into Naples and uh, get a result, but I was expecting a little bit more out of Liverpool. It's been a little bit of a tough start to the year. Yeah, a lot of new parts, but, you know, not many people. I'm sure people are punching their steering wheel already hearing us talk soccer. Listen, they, I think most of the fans reacted pretty positively to the, um, at least the DMs I got uh, from last week, that it, the Talking Texas edition is a little bit more goof goofing friendly uh, well, opposed to the state of recruiting, which is a very serious show, as I'm sure you're all rolling your eyes. The good news is, do you remember – um, during our specific things draft in round eight, when I picked that uh, a disappointed or angry tweet from me about the Dallas Stars, yes, we have a preseason goal panics Texas fans. Um, here's the good news is that the Stars today released their, their rosters for the Traverse City tournament, and that's kind of the signal of preseason. It's a big prospects tournament where teams bring up their best prospects to play, okay. Uh, and so uh, I will be watching streams online of the Traverse City tournament to see how uh, Stars top prospects Logan Stankoven and uh, Maverick Bork are doing, and probably tweeting about it. So chance to yeah. names. Yeah, Maverick Bork is an incredible name. Also, I will say too, there was a little bit of this, and I'm guilty of it as well. So I'm not going to call you out about it at all. There's going to be some gamesmanship of like your tweets aren't going to be as innocent as these like it's very much going to be like oh no not him and then texas fans are gonna be like wait what it's like i don't think think so because i think i'll just get lost in the game and (laughs) just be forget about i to be honest with you 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 texted me during the uh during the louisiana monroe game it's like oh we cash our first specific things and i'm if you know me at all i'm incredibly adhd like things go in my brain and right out and i was like oh yeah we did that so we should probably keep tabs on that. So uh, I'm sure. I was so happy. I was so happy with the responses. I got um, tagged a ton in various stuff uh, for the specific thing. So the 
listeners of the show responded very well in week one against Louisiana Monroe. Now, it's a lot easier to be, you know, silly and goof around with the specific uh, things, uh, selections when you're, you know, just drubbing a team during the Alabama game. And it might not be so much fun. But speaking of that, you did mention it. Your round one pick, Quinn Ewer's unconventional backstory broadcast package, literally led off before the season even started. So that got off the board really quickly. Um, I got one as well, which was my round three. Quinn Ewers throws an interception, and the play-by-player color says something along the lines of, you learn, you uh, live with those mistakes because of his big playability and inexperience at the position. I don't think we can cash it. Um but there was a uh, – did I pick this? I'm, I'm looking over our picks right now. Um, or did you pick it? The, Which, by the way, if anybody wants to go back and, cir- and circle back to the specific things draft, it's in the podcast feed. But if you just type in Horn- or Talking Texas podcast specific things or Horns 24-7 specific things, really easy to see the original article that has all 10 – lined up and we'll probably make a graphic because again the response has been so much better than i was even anticipating we might have gotten too specific on this one to cash it for you uh round eight crystal conte spins following texas biggest win of the year responding to trivial complaints from fans well we're not going to call louisiana monroe the biggest win exactly and and that was kind of he that was, absolutely was was in the so, middle was doing that. Shout out to listener Joel Harper for tagging me in this because again, even though we're not cashing it, he uh, <laughs> Joel just said tally it up, Hudson, and it was. Hey, Chris, I was in section seven last night and we couldn't hear the intro. Can you turn up the volume next week as if Chris Del Conte is working ops on the uh, stadium? So, again, we did the board. Exactly. So we did specify, or at least I did, because it would almost be cheating for the trivial complaints thing because he does it every week. But again, that's kind of the cheatsy part of the pick as well in that he does it every week. So no matter what the biggest win is, there's going to be uh, room to cash. But I wanted to shout out Joel for um, tagging just because it was so funny how it's just literally every week. That truly is the thing because it doesn't have to be a home win. Like they could go beat Oklahoma. They could go beat – oh, I'm, I'm trying to think of who they have on the road this year. Oklahoma State? Yeah. Um, or somebody like that, and it'll still be like, hey, there weren't enough seats allotted for us. What's the deal? You know, I mean, he's he's answering stuff every week. Yeah, just stuff that is quite clearly not in his control. It's it's pretty hilarious. Um, were there any others on the list that you were thinking maybe that could cash this week? Or, you know, I don't know. Uh, oh, I have one for you. Round five. After Texas makes a good player, takes an early lead versus Alabama, the timeline will be flooded with the ironic Texas's back tweets. I'm feeling good about it. That one is just – you just have to – any sort of a defensive turnover or special teams play or if Quinn Ewers has an early touchdown, I mean, that one just feels like a lock. Yeah, um, on another page, I'm already disappointed in my, six, my round six pick off the board. Uh, it can't be yeah. specific to you at and I thought for sure we would get me too tweets. I, and I, I threatened the other day on the phone to go tweet searching, and I would have had I followed up on that threat if I'd have found one person who had like 10 followers who did it, I would yeah. have sent it to you and tried to cash it. Uh, but 
it, it's not going to cash the uh, <clears throat> asking if Texas can hold on to a second half lead versus Yolo. Here are two that one I absolutely nailed with late round pick and another that I am not feeling so great about. I hope I'm wrong or that we don't have to get to it. Round 10 for Hudson. Jatavian Sanders has better blocking play and receiving stats than all Texas tight ends combined from the 21 season. You're feeling pretty damn good about that one. Oh, my God, what a revelation Jatavian Sanders was. And, again, we reported that we have heard and we saw that he was looking so much better, but it's another thing for it to be in a college football game and for – just to get that true sense that this is Quinn Ewer's guy on third and fourth downs on those money downs. That's the guy that he's going to be looking at the sticks. Here's one that is going to be a sneaky sleeper pick to catch for me this week. And it has nothing to do with Texas. Uh, it would be round seven. Oklahoma fans ratio. The first score. And they play Stanford. They are playing Stanford. Is is week two too early for Stanford's uh, annual upset of a Pac-12 favorite? And if they lose to Stanford, you know it's getting ratioed, and yeah. um, we're going to be tagged. Oh, that's so that that's so good. I didn't even look at the USC Oklahoma schedule too, and Oklahoma fans aren't going to really have a tough game until the conference slate. So, oh my lord, Mike, that is that's a good call. That I I'm glad you mentioned. Uh, yeah, I think we're also into territory of my round three pick. Um, the Bijan NIL deal with the Lamborghini talk on the broadcast. I made a note of that. That's this week confirmed. I, I know yeah, it is. Kind of surprised it didn't come up, but maybe that feels like Longhorn Network just not beating you over the head with it. The yep. national broadcast loves that type of stuff. Exactly. That, that got delivered. Who's Do we know who's calling the game? This is a Gus joint. I believe this is, I believe this is Joel and the crew. Yeah, so there was a producer somewhere that delivered a packet and like page one was like, here's a picture of oh, yeah. Lamborghini. But um, he he also went to the elementary school and was donating stuff there. Yeah, and then, ooh, I can't remember if this was a pick or not. I'm going to have to scan through it. Um, I think we could get the combo of this is what NIL was really intended for. It was a bonus half point. Um, yeah, with I, so bonus I can, half point if they must follow up the NIL discussion with an emphasis on what a good kid person teammate Bijan Robinson is, which is very true. But again, they, they eat that stuff up. That has to be a first quarter package. Another package that I'm kind of starting to worry about my round one pick. I'm a little bit worried that they're not going to go into the Arch Manning recruitment timeline. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just game day nerves, but. Part of me is wondering, like, oh man, are they gonna are they gonna do that package? What well, I guess we would have to discuss what timeline means because I could absolutely see them doing a since Steve Sarkeesian took over, like landed Quinn Ewers, former number one, landed Arch Manning, current number one. So in in recruitment and timeline too, I can just absolutely see. So it's either or it's the recruitment itself or the timeline. And I could absolutely seeing them be like, you know what? It came down to Alabama and Texas in that recruitment. Like they're they're on the field right now. And those were the two teams at the end when it's like, no, not not how it went down. Yeah, I will also say round two's got a great chance uh for for cashing for me on on Saturday. 
Fans go crazy and call for PK's head after the first seven-yard gain given. I, well, I don't know if I missed that because they obviously probably gave up a seven-yard gain. No, but Louisiana Monroe, in the spirit of it, I absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll get the speculation about Gary Patterson. Here's my thing, too, my round two. I mean, this was a team that lost to Kansas last year. Yeah. Decent chance. I wanted to mention one of my flops. That, that might hit at like 9-15 on game day. Very true. But <laughs> that's the problem, too, is I said after any sign of progress, which I guess you could call the ULM result progress. I don't know. Probably not. I had, a, I had a flop, I think, and maybe this will be a reverse jinx. My round nine, Hudson Card gets his chance mock Shane Bouchelle moment and leads Texas to victory after starting the game on the bench. I didn't get a great – he did not pass the vibe check after coming into the game um, when Quinn, when they pulled Quinn Ewers to rest for the Alabama game. That was a little concerning seeing Hudson Card, I don't know, looking that shaken again. Yeah, he definitely like just the flow of that game where it's like, okay, we're in this mode of Texas doing whatever they want and they're holding exactly. the end zone and then it comes in and it's like, whoa. Now, all of a sudden, and I get it, he was in there with backups. and But, I mean, there were still starters in the game. And, I, yeah, it was it was worrisome, to say the least. And even with its backups, like, you're going against Louisiana Monroe. Like, you should be able to move the ball with ease. Like, yeah, again, that was just – that made me a little bit worried. And, again, he wasn't active, but part of me was wondering, like, yo, do we need to get Malik Murphy reps? Like, yeah, you know, I think it's a case of it's still on the board at least. It's not like my pick that specifically mentioned ULM, so there's no sure. cashing and it is a long season. You never know. Yeah. Um, Mike, real quick before we move on to Alabama preview, what you were in stadium for the Louisiana Monroe game. How was that experience? And I don't know, any true takeaways for that game before we move on to the greater discussion? I thought the turnout was awesome. I don't know how it looked on TV, but the I'll say this, the student section was yeah. cool when I got in there, which was probably an hour before kickoff. Um, you know, I, and I think it's that first come first serve seating or whatever, but it, yep. it was packed. Um, the stadium, which is usually, and it's hard to be late arriving for a seven o'clock game. Um, but the stadium, which usually takes a minute to fill in, uh, was pretty full at kickoff, and I thought the game day experience has has done nothing. I wrote about this last year when I went to a game. I thought it had taken a step forward uh, from previous years, and I think it's taken a step forward from last year. Um, now it's still overly commercialized, and for sure takes some of the college football, but I get they got to pay bills. And uh, but I thought they did some unique things in stadium with the video um, takeaways. I think everybody would have loved to have seen Quinn come out just guns blazing and firing the ball and, and being on time, connecting on those deep balls. But, you know, like we said, he's it's not going to come together for him like that all that quickly. I mean, the last time he's played any level of consistent ball was 2020. Um, and so I think, you know, what we saw is when he got past that first interception, at one point I think he went seven for seven right after that. So, you know, he got on target. I would like to see, he looked really crisp on some of those RPO, specifically yeah. the one he threw to Worthy that we That, that glance concept, yeah. Same side RPO, which it, it's so funny to me because 
you know, I, I was having this conversation with Chris Ross last year, the head coach at Lovejoy, and they were repping. I was at it like a, an off-season workout, and they were just repping same-side RPOs for like an hour. And I asked him about it, and he said, well, we literally saw Baylor on film run it, but they ran it to the other side, and we were looking at the same side and going, it's wide open, but he ever covers it because they don't ever think you're going to throw back over there. And I think Chris Ross kind of pioneered it even at the high school level before any college or NFL teams were doing it. And it's such a, this may be too in the weeds nerd scheme. No, not. A, I mean, this is what this podcast is for, but I just, it's such a fascinating concept to me because he's right that nobody ever covers it because they don't expect the quarterback to be able to get back around and make that throw. When you've got a quarterback like Quinn Ewers who can make that throw um, it, it changes the game for you a little bit. And I was glad to see it. I'd like to see a little bit more of that and less of the, it felt like some of the deep shots were almost forced of like, let's, let's get one off to Xavier early um, and let him run by everybody. Yeah. And again, it's that balance of managing a vanilla game plan with um, trying to actually hit some chunk plays and get in rhythm, but you are right too, in that, that specific, you know, not same side RPOs in general, but that specific uh, glance where it's kind of like a deeper slant almost, or a, um, it's kind of a cover three or cover one beater, right? Where they're bringing down an extra safety into the box. And so you hit that RPO, the uh, single high safety kind of freezes. And you're, again, if you have an arm talent that Quinn has, you're able to just make that uh, throw pretty easily. And I loved that he was on target with that and got really encouraged by, I believe, ah, goodness, I want to say he had a ball to Jordan Whittington, and then he stepped up in the pocket and hit Jatavian Sanders towards the end of the game. And that gave me a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, encouraging signs, I guess, about him moving forward. Because for a little bit, I was kind of wondering, like, okay, if he's not able to hit those deep shots, like, it, it, it might be a little bit tough. But the success rate at 49% EPA per play in the 98th percentile at 0.21, which is pretty crazy um, yards per play 6.81. So like the offense in general, extremely healthy, like even the per drop back statistics were really encouraging. Right. But the lack of explosive plays against Louisiana Monroe is the one thing. And I might've touched on it in the game, uh, prediction column that we do uh, that we all collaborate on but that's one thing that I am worried about and only five percent of the uh, plays were noted as uh, explosive plays according to game on paper so it's just like is is that a circumstance again of we're just trying not to miss make mistakes against Louisiana Monroe who we know that we're going to dogpile and that we're trying to conserve carries and the workload for Bijan Robinson, Xavier Worthy and Rashawn Johnson, or is that something that the Texas offense has just regressed uh, since last season where they were one of the more explosive offenses in the country? Yeah. Would it be fair to say the most explosive play was a hitch to Casey Kane where he made the guy miss and legitimately. Yeah. And, you know, Jatavian Sanders had the big play where he uh, he got loose on the sideline and ran, I think, I don't I don't know what the gain was, but, man, what about that? We talked all offseason about how much positive we heard about Jatavian Sanders at the tight end position, and he oh delivered week one. 
Uh, I also, I did forget about one Quinn play that I wanted to mention that it just, if you watched him in high school, you weren't surprised at all by this, but I saw one, um, I believe, uh, ah, shit, Mike, what's it called? Is it the dynasty fantasy where they like, are the big time nerds where they're always scouting like freshmen in college to get, you know what I'm talking about? Like the long keeper type leagues. Those dynasty leagues. Yeah. Yeah. They mentioned about how that how impressed they were with the Quinn Ewers play where he does like three different uh, pump fakes and then just shovels it out to Jatavian Sanders who takes it for like 20 yards. And I was just laughing because I feel like I had seen Quinn make that type of play in high school just over and over again to the point to where I'm sure you two just weren't shocked that he was able to do that. So I'm No, honest. no. Quinn's game has always been more Pat Mahomes on the improvisational level. Um, and just the unreal belief in his arm to make every throw, and it'll get you into trouble sometimes. Like, he clearly should have thrown that ball away that he threw the interception on. Yeah. But all in all, you know, people have been talking all week. Well, he didn't have such a hot game. Yes, Louisiana Monroe, he went 16-24 to 24 for 225 and two touchdowns. Yeah, like, rebounded really well, I thought. And I think on the first drive, he was, what, 0 for 3? So, I mean, if you take yeah. those away, then he's ninth. you know, he – the percentages were good. I, I I was surprised Bijan didn't pop off a little more, but we're talking about a guy who still averaged seven yards a carry, yep. had a couple of touchdowns. Defensively, I I don't know if we're going to get that effort from Baron Sorrell every week, but if we do, I, it'll assuage a little bit of my concern about the Texas pass rush. Can you give me your, your best players on each level of the defense? I think we might – Agree on all three. Yeah, I think it was Baron Sorrell. I think it was Demarvian Overshone, and I would say Jalen Gilbo. Jalen Gilbo was mine at the third level as well. I thought he was fantastic. Like I thought he was very good. And I, I want to say for a freshman scale, he was on the he was. Oh yeah. <laughs> Big time. Also, I want to say according to PFF, he might have led the team in snaps or the defense in snaps. It seemed like he was out there a lot. And they played him in that nickel position and the star position. Um, I thought he, yeah, I, listen, I, I think that I was probably out on an Island for most of his recruitment as the guy going, look, I know he doesn't blow you away in testing. And I know he doesn't do this and that, but he is just a really, really good football player, a really instinctive DB and a guy that's played a lot and has seen a lot. And he uses that experience to, to be able to be in the right place. Mike, we mentioned it on our uh, talk on our, I believe it was actually a Talking Texas podcast where we did the, or maybe it was a state of recruiting bonus episode. They essentially are the same exact thing. Um, but when we did our freshman expectations uh, podcast, we kind of mentioned with Jalen Gilbo how there was this awful thing in this recruitment where he kind of got typecast because he was a kid from Port Arthur where a lot of recruiting analysis analysts would um, say stuff like, Oh, he's so freaky athletic, but he's just not going to be able to play immediately. Cause he's just not smart enough when it was anything, but he's such a technically sound and smart football player and physically he's very athletic, but he just might not have the top end uh, speed and change of direction. Right. That, I think would would have made him a top 100 type player. Yeah, I think that, and, and I think that it's hidden a little bit with him playing inside at that star position. If, maybe if he's out on an island, you can run by him a little more. Um, but 
his quickness and his lateral ability. And I think he just reads quarterbacks so well. You know, I thought he came right out of the gates with that big pass oh, breakout yeah. and looked like a, you know, a three-year starter on that play. It plays with a ton of confidence. Um, is a kid who who really never backs down from anything. I remember at the All-American Bowl last year, remember they they were so depleted depth-wise because all those kids tested positive for COVID. Yep. And there was literally – three. Yeah, they had like three corners out there, and they were going one-on-ones with like eight receivers versus three corners, and they were just going over and over and over again. And Gilbo was literally taking every second or third rep and winning the majority of them. Yeah. So, um, he's a kid who has an immense belief in himself. I, I don't know if you felt the same way watching, but it was almost a he's got that dog in a moment where he just kept on taking rep after rep. And I can't remember who the other corners were for the West, and they were in a tough spot. I, I want to make that abundantly clear, but there was a lot of like throwing your hands up in frustration or, you know, hands on knees, tiredness. And Gilbo was just like well, eager to get. Guys, yeah. like, hey, can we stop doing one on ones? Because there's only three of us. Like, we exactly. Are, and and I was with him. <laughs> yeah, like Gilbo was not like he was literally eager for every rep, and almost it got to the point where he was like, "Hey, what what's the deal with this guy? Like, how good is he?" Yeah, he's uh, he was he was literally just talking the entire time. Like, I can line up with any one of these guys. I believe in myself, and and I think that goes a long way. At a position like defensive back where you've got to have a short memory and you can't get shook early on. If Gilbo does take the star position and make it its own, I think it's such a good domino effect for this defense because while Deshaun Jameson did have the pick six and honestly on special teams, great game, even though he wasn't a returner. I did feel like at times Louisiana Monroe was still able to pick at him. He was uh, targeted, I believe, five times, and he had the pick six, but the other four were completions, I'm pretty sure, right? So that's something I'm a little bit worried about. So when you bring back Jade Barron, he doesn't have to play that star position. He can then be the corner opposite of Ryan Watts, and then you can rotate in Jamison. You can rotate in some of those other corners, and it makes it just such a deeper room. And Again, you can mix things around. You can move Baron to star. You can move Gilbo maybe to that other safety spot if you think that he can handle it and Jaron Thompson and Keaton Crawford aren't producing. Um, that's probably one of my only other concerns from the game. I still do think that that other safety spot opposite of Anthony Cook is a little too slow to trigger in the run fit game, and it just makes DeMarvin Overshone and Jalen Ford's jobs that much harder. Yeah, and you talk about Overshone, you know, Again, I'm trying not to take too much away from Louisiana Monroe. For sure. It's hard when you're in the stadium. It's hard to absorb, like, real takes on the game. So I got home and I watched it uh, again on TV. And I think I talked to you the night of the game when I got back to my hotel and just said, I thought DeMarvin played pretty well. And then, like, I watched it on TV and was like, yeah, I didn't realize how well he played. (laughs) He was was all over the place and did give them a little something different off the edge. Oh, yeah. And especially we mentioned Baron Sorrell, but unfortunately, I talked to you post game. Ovia Gofu was a non factor. Him and Jalen Ford, who, who, um, you know, we heard a lot about in the offseason. And I think Jalen's got a big enough sample size to show that he's usually pretty consistent. Um, so I'd expect him to bounce back at some point. But yeah, I, I thought we'd see more out of those two. So my only thing. And again, maybe this is a little bit of a confirmation bias, right? Of like, 
you know, I, I think highly of Jalen Ford while I'm skeptical of Ophi. With Jalen, when I went back and watched the tape, there was almost a level of like, well, he's pretty assignment sound. It's just DeMarvian Overshun's making all of the plays and there's a lot more rotation at linebacker. But I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about Ophi. So seeing Barron play so well and also um, just getting that off the edge with DeMarvian. And also I was very happy that he got his uh, offsides penalty out of the way a little early in the season. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully that's the first. Hopefully that's the first. Can I shout out one of my guys? Oh, yeah. How about Vernon Broughton? You know, oh, I mean, yeah. Been looking for stuff from Broughton and, and Alfred Collins, and it's been so hit or miss from Collins, but they talked on the broadcast about Broughton dropping weight this year. He looked better physically, and I thought he really had his motor running hot. And that was my concern about him in high school is the motor doesn't always run hot, and it doesn't it, – that's typically the case with most big yeah. guys. And, and it showed in his first two years, so that was so impressive. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, and Big V is one of my favorite all-time kids, so was really happy to see him uh, out there doing that. And I thought Keandre Coburn played a really strong game. For sure. Um, Mike, before we move on to the Alabama game, is there anything else you want to hit on from Louisiana Monroe? Yeah, I think you you told me they've already made this change, um, but uh, you, I'm worried about Isaac Pearson's hands. I oh, mean, they made it in-game with Hudson Card being the holder and then i think the other punter is named danny trejo which is hysterical yeah um and honestly he wasn't he wasn't bad but isaac pearson not being able to catch a football like that's one of the only problems when you take some of the pro kick australia guys and you saw it with michael dixon earlier in his career like sometimes i want to remind the coaches like hey just put gloves on them like yeah who cares if they pump with gloves um, yeah, no, I, that was a concern. Um, the kicking was fine. I mean, nobody asked a lot out of Brett or Bert Auburn and, and, uh, and he nailed his first kick. And that's why I just, again, we mentioned, I felt so bad for him on the Isaac Pearson botched hold. Cause a lot of people in the stadium thought that he just shanked it that badly. Oh, we totally did. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, oh, that was awful. <laughs> so I got a ton of texts that were just like, Yo, this Burt Auburn kid is not. And I'm like, look, on the when you look back, you'll see what actually happened. But when you're looking to build confidence for a young kicker, like that is just a disaster. Now, hopefully, with Hudson Card, it'll help that he knows, okay, at least this person, like, say again, mention that I'm a little bit worried about Hudson Card, but his hands, uh, not in question, knock on wood from his time as a Lake Travis wide receiver. Yeah. Um, the other thing I, that stood out was they scored in all three phases, which is tough. Yeah. Um, scored defensively, offensively, and on special teams. And man, that, again, I know it's Louisiana Monroe, that pump block, I and I've been really impressed since Jeff Banks got here with how good their pump block team's been. It oh, was yeah. a staple of the Mac Brown years. It seemed like it never happened any time in between then and now. And now it's like, okay, you, we, there's a chance they could get one every game, it feels like. With guys like Keelan Robinson and now you add Deshaun Jamison to the mix of guys rushing the punter, they were almost there before the ball got to the punter, it felt like. I Because I, that was right down in front of us. Yeah. It was – I was shocked with how many guys they got that deep and just threw the line. Banks does such a good job with personnel and formations and, like, knowing how to exploit stuff. Like, he's very good about that. I was – other than the Mac era, I mean, Niver had a pretty decent 
um, did a pretty decent job as a special teams coordinator, right? Where I think the USC game, they have a really good field goal block with Caden Stearns and what Anthony Wheeler just chugging down along the sideline. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's about all that I can think of. Yeah. So all, all three phases, good. I mean, look, they did what they were supposed to do against Monroe. Yep. Absolutely. So it's not always easy. I mean, I think that it, it turned out all right for AM against Sam Houston State, but it, and it was definitely a weird game with the long lightning delay, but I think at 17 nothing at the half, there were some people in College Station for it. So um, you'd, you'd much rather be able to finish and just say, hey, we did what we were supposed to do with that team. Now it's on to the next one. Yeah, bingo. And again, like we, uh, like we mentioned, where in the Tom Herman era where it felt like every game was kind of a little tough. It, it wasn't a Tulsa, twi- you know, 28-21 type result. So real easy. Everybody got to get back into the game day atmosphere before college game day, big noon kickoff type matchup against Alabama, which we'll hit on a little bit later after the break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you to our sponsors, as always. We love them. We support whatever message was in the... You know, we love our sponsors. All of them. Uh, all of them. I really hope it's not like, a, you know. yeah, I, I was thinking about that. Like, oh, God, I hope that I'm just not co signing. But again, I don't think we're sponsored by like, you know, genocide or anything. Um, <laughs> I gone to the Alabama of, game. <laughs> that reminds me of a, a Mount Rushmore favorite tweet of mine. Was, yeah, Shaq. About how Shaq would do a commercial for genocide if the check hit. The check was on time. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good tweet. I'm glad you, your brain, your posting brain linked up with mine because that's exactly what I was going for. The Alabama Crimson Tide come to town. I'm struggling to find angles other than it's a 20-point spread. We know that it's going to be tough, but you know what are the positives that we can kind of latch on to for Texas to potentially have an angle here? My mind is just spiraling out of control because I've gone from like, you can't be optimistic in this game. There's no way to like, am I being too negative? For sure. Me too. Am I giving them enough credit? And now I'm finding myself somewhere in the middle ground of like, don't. I think the smart play is keep the expectations low, obviously, because as we've said many times, you don't get rich betting against Bama. Um and, you know, I don't think there's a chance Bama's overlooking Texas. I mean, it's a big national matchup. It's been talked about all year. Yeah. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of former Bama coaches on this, on this Texas staff. So um, I think that 
when I look at the game, turn it upside down on its head, I look for every angle of like, okay, what it, what would it take for Texas to pull off a victory here? And I just think that what we know about both teams and both programs, where they are, it would take kind of the stars aligning for something perfect. It would take a yeah. perfect game plan and execution by Texas and some mistakes by Alabama, which typically you don't get either of those or both of those in one matchup. So I think if we're looking at the positives, I do think this offense, even though it wasn't as explosive in week one, I think what we've seen and kind of watching the, watching the game afterwards, there were a lot of plays where guys were like the, the Jatavian Sanders uh, touchdown, the first touchdown Quinn threw, there were four guys open on that play. Yeah. And so it's like if if we if if Quinn gets to the point where I think you go through this progression as a quarterback where in week one you're seeing one opening and in week three you're seeing three openings and by week five just because of experience you're seeing the entire field and you're seeing all of the openings that this offense will be pretty explosive. Um, will that happen this week? I don't know and. I think that this is a I, – I, I don't want to say that this is going to tell us a lot about Kelvin Banks because it's hard to put those expectations on a freshman going up against a Heisman-level player in Will Anderson. But Kelvin Banks was really, really solid uh, in game one, didn't look like a freshman much outside of a false start. It, I, I just kind of think back to Ruben Fathery doing better against Will Anderson last year than people anticipated he might if – if Kelvin Banks can do it, I think that that should should signal a lot of excitement for fans on on his ultimate ability at the position. I think the Louisiana Monroe game kind of showed what Kelvin Banks's floor might be rich because again, Louisiana Monroe, but it it shows a baseline level of like this guy is the first or second best offensive lineman already, right? He looked really good. Um, when you're touching on the positives, I think that what we mentioned a couple of weeks ago still holds merit of like on offense, you almost do need the three headed monster to really show up for the first time. Like Quinn has to play much better than he did last week. Bijan Robinson has shown up in big game after big game, but you know, he needs to have a little bit of help from the passing game to where he's not having to consistently run against even number boxes or plus boxes, right? And then Xavier Worthy didn't have much of a impact last week, either by design or because they just weren't able to hit him in the downfield passing game. And they need him to open up, uh, you know, the downfield threat so that your Jordan Whittington's, Jatavian Sanders, potentially even in a Jai Hall, could make an impact and really help in the passing game. Again, that's something else I wanted to bring up, and I just <laughs> mentioned his name. If a Jai Hall plays, that dynamic's going to be really interesting. But, you know, Casey Kane looked good, but a Jai Hall is just that next level freak, right? To where you can kind of avoid rolling over a safety to Casey Kane, even though he does, again, really encouraging performance. But when he's at the X, you don't have to really worry about him beating a good corner deep, right? With a Jai Hall, it's a different level of athlete. So, could that help for Isaiah Nayor, unfortunately, being out 
the year due to injury, maybe. And I think that could open up some things. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, it's just – it's all going to me about how the defensive backs play. Like, I think – I think – the front seven can match up a little bit better than people are expecting. I just don't really believe in this group in contested situ- catch situations against Jermaine Burton. And when Bryce Young has the ability to improvise and scramble, that they're going to be able to stick with those guys. It's just, that's one of the more pessimistic thoughts I have. I want to go back to the offense. We we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I do, I do think Jadon Sanders just gives them a dimension they did not have last year if he continues to play like he did last week. He is a guy that opens up the middle of the field for them. He was a great just safety release for Quinn, um, you know, like just flipping the ball out to him. Even the touchdown was like, I mean, it wasn't like it was a deep route where he mossed a guy in the end zone. It was something where he had to run after the catch. And um, I, I think he does give them that added dimension that they couldn't really rely on uh, as much last year. I would probably agree with you on the defense. I, I maybe maybe the secondary surprises us. I, I thought Ryan Watts played pretty well. Agreed. Him and Cook, I, I didn't have much many bad notes. Yeah, I, I do think if you look at Deshaun Jameson's game, yeah, he had the pick six, but the pick six was on a bad throw. Uh, they Where he play. was four or five yards behind a slant. Right, and going the other way. <laughs> like if the guy would have caught the slant, Jameson was outside. And it would have probably been a foot race from there. Um, that does worry me a touch. And I, man, more than anything, and I, I haven't heard a ton of it in the media this week. More than anything, I'm hoping they don't show up the way they did before the LSU game. Like, this is you, no. and this is we're going to no. do this, and we're going to do that. Like, go out there, do what you're taught to do, and, you know, beat your chest after the game if you play like it. But, um, yeah, that would be my main concern. I, I also think, and I didn't watch Bam in week one, so I don't know what their balance looked like on offense, but obviously, you know, they can run the ball when they want to run the ball. Um, can the interior line hold up? Will those run gaps change? All those sorts of things. Yeah, it's it's Utah State, right? But uh, EPA per drop back and EPA per rush, both in the point threes. Uh, in the 99th and 100th percentile, so pretty dang good. Yeah, uh, they're pretty good team. That's why. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll say it. Alabama's good at football. Uh, I'll be the one to risk my reputation on that one. Um, I still just can't get over the. It's the dreamer in me. It's the but what if? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we get closer to kickoff, I'm starting to think of like if they start hot and. You know, like they here's one positive that I can't get out of my head. I genuinely do think for the bigger games, Steve Sarkeesian always has wrinkles that seem to get plays wide open. Like it, it feels like Sark has three or four plays a game to where it's just like, well, that that's an expert defensive coordinator, but he just he just found a way to get Xavier Worthy wide open on a climb route or they completely weren't ready for how we're going to run this version of counter and Bijan Robinson went for 35. Right. So that's something that I do find a little bit of comfort in. And I don't know, it's a 11 o'clock game. Right. So 
those typically do favor the home teams because not only is your rhythm affected by a true road game, which I believe this might be the first like power five true road game of the Nick Saban era. Everything else has been a neutral site, right? So it's like, there are a lot of elements to where you're not only breaking up your rhythm by going on the road for really the first time, but you're having to do it and have a seven or six wake up call. Like there are a lot of elements that give me a little bit of hope, but Vegas is not in the money losing uh, business and setting a point, uh, set, you know, getting the point total all the way up to 20 when I believe it opened at about 14 and a half is pretty indicative of how, um the sharps are seeing this game playing out yeah i i'm thinking about it and tell me if you agree with me on this this is the only recipe i see for them getting a win it's basically the oklahoma game from last year but you hold on to the lead and you got to get out fast something like a quick score a blocked punt something you know where you can get on them very quickly. Maybe they sleepwalk through the first quarter and a half and you've got a two or three score lead on them. And then you have to hold on. I don't see them exchanging blow for blow, drive for drive and winning this game. I think it's that. I think that's the most likely potential win, right? Or I think there is almost a version to where Alabama gets up you know, they, they go score for score at first. Alabama gets to a 10 to 17 point lead. And then slowly it just turns into a, we took our foot off the gas and um, holy crap, Texas now has all of the momentum heading into the fourth quarter as they're driving to potentially take a lead. One of those. So I, just, I don't know. Man, how many times in the Nick Saban era did they really, have they really done that though, where they take yeah. the off the gas and let a team come back. I just, it's hard to see it that way. Your point about it being a true road game is interesting um, because I, my dad actually brought this up to me today. He's like, is this the furthest West Alabama's traveled since, I mean, other than maybe going and playing a national championship at at and or, uh, you know, one of the Western States, like, is this the furthest West they've traveled to play a road game in forever? Yeah. By the way, Mike, you are right if you're just looking at it in that how you described the game going is almost exactly how Texas A&M did it last year. Uh, 17 to 7 after the first quarter, uh, 24 to 10 at half, and then slowly Alabama got back into it and they were able to hang on. Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, that's the only recipe for Texas to come out with a win. The crazy part is that Alabama got up 38 to 31 with five minutes left in the game and found a way to lose. So that is the crazy part because I feel like if, if they get back to that point with Texas, it's, it's over, you know, I mean, For if, sure. if Texas got a big lead, if they came back and, and then went ahead of score, it's typically over by that point. Um, let's, do you want to talk a little bit about Alabama? I mean, we've talked a lot about Texas, but I, I have one more thought before we move on. We have been very pessimistic, and I think justifiably so. Again, it's a 20-point uh, spread. I'm going to hammer that home again because there, I did see a lot of people in the combined game thread with the Alabama board, which surprisingly has not been a disaster. Um, so shout out to everybody for that. But um, I, I, there were a lot of Texas fans who were, who were predicting like 20-point wins, and I was just like, come on, guys, like – 
Yeah. I would love it if it happens. It's college football. So while I'm pessimistic, that's why we're talking about chances for Texas to win because we love the sport so much. And there are so many crazy things that happen, right? Again, this is what makes college football so unique to a lot of the other professional sports or, you know, regard like whatever to where truly the unexpected can happen. But at the same time, we do need to be a little bit measured in our analysis. That's why they play the games for sure. But I mean, it's tough to see any kind of world where, you know, it's not impossible to see Texas getting a win. It's to me, damn near impossible to see them getting a 20 point one. Yeah. Uh, unless, I mean, unless it just the wheels shoot completely off for Alabama, which I can't see happening. Um, you know, if they do, Mike, if they do somehow, again, you know, I, I'm just absolutely wrong. And, oh, my God, the uh, Texas Longhorns 48, the Alabama Crimson Tide 17. If somehow that actually were to happen in a fantasy world, I would book tickets to Lucas Oil Stadium for the national championship game literally that night. Well, okay, so that's a point I want to talk about because – Everything's been drawn to this game, and I think Sark addressed it this week in his press conference. This season can't just be about the Alabama game because we've no. seen Texas pull off big wins like this before and then lose games they're not supposed to. On the flip side, you can't you can't if you get blown out by Alabama, you've got to go back to work next week against a UTSA team that looked much better than I thought. And and I watched that game. That's a defense that's going to get after Texas. That's a defense that's going to get after Texas, and that is a quarterback in Frank Harris who I thought has made some serious strides and looked phenomenal, poses a very unique threat. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot to talk about there. I'm sure we can do that next week. Um, But it also can't be a thing of if you get blown out, losing the season because of it. Do not turn this into another 2021 where you have your heads down and then it's it snowballs. It, another snowball, we get into some uncomfortable talking points. Yeah, and so I think that um, with, with this game, you're blessed with the low expectations almost. You have no pressure because everybody expects you to get beat by several scores. Um and so you could kind of go out there, and for lack of a better term, to quote Vince Young, let your nuts hang a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, go make some plays and, and go do some things. And, and that goes to the coaching staff, too. Take some chances. Yeah. Do a couple of things that are unconventional to you. You know, I mean, if you've – it almost feels like we get into this thing in college football where it's like, well, we're Texas, we're blue blood. We would never – um, you know, fake this and kick the surprise onside kick or anything like that. And it's like, don't let that be a thing, you know, go out there and, and play with no pressure. Yeah. We talked about a little bit on the state of recruiting as far as what exactly uh, Texas needs from like a recruiting standpoint for this game, but almost narrative wise, other than an Oregon, Georgia, 49-3 ish type thrashing. I, I think that there's not a ton you can take. Like people are going to get their jokes off, of course, but I mean they're always going to try to get their jokes off at Texas Texas's expense because that's easy numbers and it's just a very go to the well for some engagement type stuff because every program across the country hates them. So I mean, to be honest with you, Texas could play the game of their lives 
and then give up a late lead and lose by three. And people are still going to talk about how they can't hold a lead. Exactly. One team in the country. I mean, it's just. Or, oh my God, Texas is so overrated. Like at home against like. It's low hanging fruit. Exactly. But, uh, you know, and Sark mentioned this in the presser and I saw him get a little bit of criticism for fans about being like, well, he doesn't seem confident, but he's just telling the truth. Regardless of this game, everything is on the table for this Texas team. And, you know, I, I was going to mention it when we were talking about Jatavian Sanders. I would love to have Jaleel Billingsley because, again, throughout this, he didn't have the best fall camp, but throughout the spring, he was a really dynamic weapon. So, like, you're eventually going to get him back. And there is just so much to play for in the Big 12. So, season is not defined by this game. Not at all, because, I mean, most coaches structure their goals for a season in tiers, right? Like, Mac used to always say, I remember he'd be like, we're bowl eligible. And people would be like, well, okay, who cares? Like, you should be bowl eligible. <laughs> but that's literally to get to the next step, you have to hit the first step. The first step is to get bowl eligible. The second step is to win your division. The third step is to win the conference. Four steps to get to the national championship. Like, you have to tick off those boxes as you go. And so, you know, regardless of the outcome of this game, they've still got to go win the Big 12 to get to where they want to be. And say they lose this game, and they but they went out and win the Big 12, a one-loss Texas team is getting into the playoffs. You know, it, it's it's just going to happen. Um, now, I think we're way ahead of ourselves talking playoff there. I'm just, I'm just sitting there. Sure. But the, the greater point. point. That everything's still there for them. And, you know, we've seen this Bama beats teams two weeks in a row stuff. And, and they, yeah. they, they do have a tricky opponent, UTSA, that, that they're going to have to – have to get through after that. So yeah, I think uh, I think they've got to keep that mind, the big picture in mind here. Even though that this game is so big, it's right in front of your face, and it and it feels like it's the whole season. But man, wouldn't you rather lose this game and go and compete for the Big Twelve than totally. win this game and, and finish seven and five? Absolutely, easily. Um, one thing about the UTSA game, I almost love that it kind of feels like a de facto start to conference play like UTSA, this team. And I did not think they would be again, as good as they looked against Houston. They're they're de facto to me, a big 12 caliber team. Like you can't tell me that if UTSA lined up against Kansas or another, whoever ends up eighth in the Big 12 that they at the Alamo Dome that they wouldn't beat them. Because, again, people people are talking up this Houston team like they're a potential G5 playoff squad, and I, I thought that they should have won the game. Listen, Jeff Trailer can coach some ball. I yeah. think he's proven that at this point. I mean, what he's done, he's legitimately like all of us who turn on PlayStation, like I'm going to take UTSA to become a 10-win team and undefeated, and I'll yeah. start with them, and, and he's like doing it in real life. Big time. Mike, I want to do at least one more exercise before we head out of here. I can lead it off if you want, or you can go. I'll give you the choice. It is a prompt. I want to see this player get snaps on offense and defense. um, The rotation player that you want to see more of against Alabama. Okay. Um... I'm deciding between two guys, and I thought we would see a little more Tariq Milton. Yes. One, 
Um, so he would kind of be my like uh, my my offensive pick, but I'm kind of deciding between him and I liked a little bit of what I saw from Savion Red. But is the moment too big for a freshman? I think I'll probably just go with Tariq Milton on offense. Conspiracy. It got to the point with Tariq Milton to where I was like, are they not wanting to put him on tape? Like, what is the deal? Like, he has tape out there. Why aren't they playing him? We heard so much good stuff out of fall camp, and just he didn't get a ton of run, which I thought was interesting. You went Tariq Milton. I thought Juan Davis looked really good. Like, he had a pop on an insert uh, play that I just thought was really, really impressive. Um Gunnar Helm looked good. I prefer Juan Davis to Gunnar Helm. The issue is Jatavian Sanders with Billingsley out is playing the H, where Gunnar Helm is much more of a Y. When Billingsley's in, Jatavian plays the Y, Billingsley's in the H. Juan Davis would then back up Billingsley in the H, but with Jatavian in that spot, he kind of has to be the backup now. I'd like to see a little bit more of him. I thought he looked really good. And if you're going to run 12 personnel, I think you might as well um, put, put the Everman native in there on defense. I want to lead it off just because I don't want you to steal the pick to be completely honest. I want to see more Ethan Berg. No. Yeah. That, I mean, that's fair. I wouldn't have probably stolen that pick. Um, defense is tough. I mean, like, cause I kind of, you know, and my initial thought is like more Byron Murphy, but Byron Murphy played a lot. I yeah. mean, it wasn't, he didn't start, but I would say if you probably looked at snaps. It would have been a fair pick though, to be clear. I think total snaps, he was probably, uh, you know, right there. Um, that's a good question. I, I think. You know who? You know who I sneaky think is an interesting one too? Jamon Tapp kind of looked great. Yeah. <laughs> like I think Jamon Tapp was probably second behind Burke as far as the freshman edges. And I didn't think Finkley did anything wrong, but the other two just looked great. Yeah, he popped several times. Um again, it was the end of the game. It was a blowout. So I don't want that to for sure cloud my judgment too much. Um man, that's a really it is really a question. Maybe Keaton Crawford, yeah, um, in a more permanent role. I just, I, you and I were talking about this offline, but like, I just, I, I want to see if he's ever going to get there because I do believe so much in his ability, uh, but he's just never consistently got there. Can I go back to offense real quick? Yeah, it's hard to do this because of how strong. Bijan Robinson or Rashawn. You're going to say Jonathan Brooks? But man, I oh every time God. Jonathan Brooks carries the ball, I'm like, that's an NFL running back. I Jonathan Brooks, if somehow you get this message, I'm praying that you stay. Like, please just be patient. And I know that there's always going to be a stable at UT, but he is absolutely an NFL caliber running back. He's so good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, on defense. Was there any other linebacker that flashed for you? I thought Benda was probably the third best. Yeah, I, I thought it was honestly like Devin Richardson made some plays. Good, that, yeah, good show. It made made me made me go okay. That's uh, that makes sense a little bit. I thought uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey looked. A little oh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely who was the honestly. He might have been the second best linebacker on the day. He was pretty good. Okay, see, I was, from my watch of it, I thought he got caught in the wash a little bit too much. And 
I thought he struggled. I may have to go back and watch again. And like I said, okay. it's really hard to I'm take curious it. how he would have graded out internally then if we had different reads on it. Yeah, I again, it was really hard to take in from the stands. And by the time he was playing significant snaps, I was, you know, I'm, I'm checking out a little bit. Um, I'd have to go back and watch again. I, I just re- remember on my rewatch thinking, yeah, he's his size is an issue right now. He is getting caught up a little too much in, in the wash inside. Um, so let's put a pin in that one. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just misremembering the watch, but um, it could be me too. I mean, it's just a very interesting uh, thing to talk about. Oh man, out of curiosity, you said that you wouldn't have taken him overall did you how did you grade Ethan Burke's performance uh I thought he was really good I just wouldn't have taken him because like I knew you would want to take him <laughs> no that's nice that's your also guy. a little bit of a cheatsy because he was playing a ton yeah I like I noted he first of all he's really easy to notice he's six foot yeah. seven and white. <laughs> yeah. um, and like pasty white so yeah. um I was like oh there's Ethan Burke he's on the field um and they were moving him around so much that it was like, you know, sometimes from the stands, you're like, you, you get, if they're, depending on what side of the field they're on, it's like, oh, I can't see who the far end is. But like, I'm like, why is Ethan Burke playing middle linebacker? Why is he lined up in the middle right now? Like they were bringing him from so many different angles. And I thought he was really active. I would love to go back and watch his specific downs to see how he set the edge and handled the run. But I think he from graded out as PFF, he graded out as the best run defender, okay. which is wild considering just, I mean, it's not wild because he's so well coached from his time with Brian Vosick at Westlake and Tony Salazar. Right. But it's wild in the sense that Ethan Burke was known as like a get after the effing quarterback type of player. That was my initial take was watching it. I, I found myself focusing a lot on him when I saw him in the game and he was just so sound technically it, it for a guy that like doesn't have a ton of football playing experience. Yeah, that's the scary part. He's so far ahead technically of like guys who've played their whole lives. I, I thought it was, yeah, it was, I mean, he was, I was dubious on him being able to contribute this year because I thought the frame limitations and just needing to add strength, we're going to catch up with him. But um, I'm definitely interested. I think, I think you may have said this preseason or maybe in our, our freshman expectations thing, but I think it's fair to say he's going to be a very, very regular rotation, yeah. guy, if not starter by the time they get to conference play and a guy they're going to need to lean on to get after the passer. Exactly. And again, I did go back and listen to that pod. I'm so happy with my thoughts on Ethan Burke. I had him at number four in the class, which again, at the time, I felt like I was kind of a madman for doing it. But that's just one of the rare ones where it's just, it feels good off the finger. And right now it looks to be a good pick. I mean, you know, a good, good shot, but who knows? Still a lot of football left to be played. Um, Before we head out, Mike, Alabama is, I just checked uh, Caesar Sports book, 20 and a half point favorite, putting you on the spot. Who covers? I can't go against the score prediction that I've already turned in. So I'm going to say Alabama covers. How about this one? First half, Alabama minus 11 and a half. (sighs) 
color me really pessimistic and I'm usually the optimistic one. Um, yeah, I'll say they're covering at the half too. I'd take them first half and game. Here's probably the most fun play for me. If, if, if any DGEN's listening, Texas my, uh, plus 250 first quarter, I kind of love. Because there is well, just – Because there's a chance it's 10 to 7. Yeah, there's a chance it's 10 to 7. And, again, you are risking actual real-life dollars on the coin flip and who gets the ball first, right? Because it's just a possessions game. One team's going to get two. One team's going to get one. Or a 2-2, two, 3-2 two, two possession, right? But for plus 250 odds, that one is – that's one to where normally they'll – the odds makers will – kind of steam it down a little bit compared to, you know, Texas being a plus 800 money line um, in the full game. But that's still a little high for me for the value. That's something I'd be intrigued. Yeah. Um, before I, I want to do player props real quick too, before we head out, let me pull those up. Okay. And I got something before we get out of here too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This one is so tough because I the instinct is to smash the over. Bijan Robinson, 72 and a half rushing yards. It's you know, the thing is, is he's either going to be way over or he's going to be way under. Like we have seen school like defenses like Arkansas slow him down, you know, Iowa State yeah. slowed him down and it made him kind of irrelevant in those games. Baylor. Uh, kept him to a very low production last year. So it's possible. I think we're so accustomed to the big Bijan game that, you know, we don't necessarily think it is, but it is possible. It's, it's, that feels like a rat line to me almost. Yeah. I agree with you. The only thing that I'm thinking is if you, okay, another way to like think about it. If you were to put it over under on his carries, it would probably be in the high teens or maybe low twenties, right? Maybe, but if you get down early, very true, and you afford to, and you're chasing the game. Ball. Yeah, some of those carries get converted into well, we have to throw a swing screen, we have to throw you know him this angle, we have to go with our uh, mesh railroad concept where you like the touches get converted very quickly into carries uh, or from carries to receptions. Good point. Uh, that's a tricky one. My lean would still be does, over. Does he have a prop on total yards? No, they're not that I'm seeing here. Quinn Ewers. That, that Quinn would be Ewers, an easier one to sniff out would be total yards. For sure. Quinn Ewers, 207 and a half pass yards. It's just so tough because if the game, it, I guess this is kind of the thing of every gambling pick, but like For sure, this game has like, to me, like two possibilities, the way it plays out. It's either, it's either, you know, a close game or it's a blowout and there's no in between to me. And I think if it's a blowout, 
I, I almost think uh, this might be contrarian. I almost think it's a, if it's a blowout, it might help. It favors them, yeah. Because then you're just chasing game, the game. They're probably managing the ball. They're probably running it more. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So that's that's the one where it's a little tough. And then I don't love Xavier Worthy 73 and a half for the over-under. I just think it's too high to immediately play the over. But also, if for some reason a Texas fan was looking to hit the Xavier Worthy under, you see how they like to get him involved in big games. Yeah. And they'll throw those uh, touch pass, whatever, on the jet sweep that counts as a pass and things like that. Is there a Will Anderson sack line? There's not. They they As we get closer to game time, you do get a lot more um, props added. We have a Bryce Young pass yards. You just heard Quinn Ewers. You want to guess what Bryce Young's is? Uh, I feel like this is going to – I'm going to say 320. Mikey Sharps. Mike, what, what's your Balkan heritage? Uh, I am a, a Serb. Oh, Croatian. Some Croatian, some Serb. Well, you're on the money. 327 was the over-under. So some good stuff there. Um, by the way, you mentioned, hey, can we talk about Alabama a little bit before we get out of here? I'm te- I've mentioned it in my game. I'm terrified of Jermaine Burton. I've mentioned him a ton. I, I He is so good. And then we just haven't talked at all about the fact that Jameer Gibbs is probably like the second or third best running back uh, going to the draft this year. Yeah, he's terrifying. He's the type of guy Texas struggles with. Not to mention the fact that like at any given time, they can give the ball to Trey Sanders or Chase McClellan or Jamarian Miller, who, who made his debut last week. All names Texas fans will know because they either had commitments or were close to commitments with those. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, again, newsflash, Bama's loaded. It seemed, talking with some sources, that if anything on this Alabama team was going to be picked apart or Texas felt like they might have a not advantage, but they can kind of go after it. It didn't seem like there was a ton of fear being inspired by the Bama offensive line, which, you know, is encouraging, right? If you're trying to find ways for a win, but at the same time with the amount of skill talent they have, it almost does remind me a little bit of that LSU squad where the offensive line isn't the best. Okay. So what? We just have to get rid of the ball quick. We also haven't talked about, you know, our, our guy, Cole Hudson, who we're high on, didn't play his best game. He's going to have to line up. Nerve-wracking. Because the, the Oats kid, I don't know if you saw. Um, I know for sure uh, C.J. Vogel put out a tweet about it. I saw one of the Bama uh, scheme guys that I follow tweeted about it. The Oats kid they have at defensive tackle, I'm going to send it to you live on air. He had a play to where he legitimately took out four offensive linemen by himself. Jaheim Otis, and I'm going to give a shout-out to our own Andrew Ivins, who when we were at the All-America or the Under Armour practice last year where Jaheim Otis was, and he was fat and out of shape and slow and lazy, and I'm sitting there watching him, and I go, I can't believe Bama took this guy. And Andrew looked at me and goes, you know, that's the type of guy they routinely turn into first-round picks. And uh, I'll be damned if he isn't already on the field making a huge impact. 
And again, Jaheem Otis, apologies for calling him Oates. I was uh, subliminally, I guess, thinking of Nate Oates, the Alabama uh, basketball coach, who I do think a lot of us basketball coach. I just sent you the play, Mike. So we're going to coach the former uh, former uh, Bruins uh, center. Ooh. So you're just oh we got God. a lot. Yeah, that's uh, that's terrifying. You, you hear the term bowling ball for football used a lot for like a diminutive uh, running back that's kind of squatty, right? That's the first defensive lineman bowling ball I've seen where he legit, like, again, four guys taken out. Can I make a point that I've been, I've been cooking up this take in my head? And I don't okay. know it's a totally original take. People have probably made it before. There's something, and it's not just the Alabama strength program. There's something about the Alabama uniform that makes guys look just like monsters in them. Conversely, there's something about the Texas uniform that makes guys look like smaller or skinnier to me. Interesting. I, I wonder if there's an actual, uh, you know, reason for that as far as color or if it's just purely psychological. I mean, I, I Derek Henry and Julio Jones are two that I yeah, mean. I mean, it helps that they have legitimate aliens like playing shows. Yeah. Um, but like there's something Mac, about, Mac Jones is just like, oh, thanks, Mike. Uh, and he's yeah. like, no, not you. There's something about the uh, like the tie. It's almost like everybody wears a jersey size smaller than they should at Alabama. Um, and so it just looks like they're always bursting out of their jerseys. Uh, like even if you looked at Ben Davis when he was at Alabama in those pictures <laughs> and then looked at him in Texas, you're That's like, such a mean one. That's such a mean one. <laughs> but you're like, is this the same guy? Like a Jai yeah. Hall, even. I saw him the other day. <sighs> Jai Hall, I've seen up close many times. He's an impressively put together physical specimen. But I looked at him the other day in pregame and I'm like, he seems skinnier. Oh, speaking of a Jai Hall. Again, I know that we've done a lot of, oh, this is the last, I mean, that's every, almost every show. I, I have a horrible habit of it. Mike, we need to cut a promo, a wrestling style promo. UT Parking, you have taken everything that these players have worked for. Yes. Why on earth is the quarterback one at the University of Texas at Mother Effing Austin getting his truck towed? during a football game let me tell you this they're one lamborghini toe away from an uprising legitimately there is going to be a resistance movement in the streets of austin texas if this corrupt ut parking and uh, like what are we doing like i'm gonna have a taylor twelman moment what are we doing yeah it they are legit. I mean, Mike, I'm surprised that when we were at the Elite Bash recruiting event, they didn't try to tow the Bijan Robinson's Lamborghini that was on the, uh, you know, on the sidewalk of DKR. Well, you know, you and I were playing hide and seek with UT parking with my truck, moving it around to different spots and uh, making sure that it was safe. So uh, we know that they're, they're always watching, always vigilant. They're like the Batman uh, of, of parking. Yeah, if, if Batman only targeted football players and tried to make students' lives hell, it would legitimately that would that would be them. I think it's um, all athletes because I see the basketball guys complain about it a lot. And I, I you know, I think it's all we see it a lot with football because we cover football, but like I think it's all athletic. It, true. Yeah, no, I, I remember having friends on the softball team, the volleyball team, who would be like, yo, UT parking is a menace. And yeah. 
again, it is one of those things too, where it's like a college cliche, right? Of like, oh my God, the squirrels on our campus are crazy. And it's like, oh, the parking on our campus. No, UT parking is truly uh, next level. And again, I'm waiting for someone to use it as negative recruiting against Texas. I mean, there's a there's a lot of things that schools unsuccessfully try to negative recruit Texas about. That might be one of the positives. If I'm Brent Venables, the next time I have a junior day, I have that tweet from Quinn just up on the board, and I'm bringing in the head of OU Parking. Be like, look, yeah, you're safe. I mean, we're just giving free bits away. That would be hysterical. <laughs> Um, before we get out of here, I do want to do this because we talked about it beforehand and I think it would be good if we're going to do this. They told uh, QB1, man. To kind of talk about just, first of all, how awesome was it that football was back? I didn't get to appreciate the full slate because I was traveling on Saturday to Austin and then watching the game and all. Um, but how awesome was it? Any takeaways from week one and anything you're excited about this week? Billy Napier in Florida. Ooh, talk about a debut. That was that was pretty fun. That was probably the game I was locked in on the most uh, anywhere else. Look, man, I, I, I'm not going to hang the banner after week one, but we had an offline conversation in one of yep. our contexts about Florida being an opponent for Texas A&M, and it, which was a tougher opponent. And I went with Florida because I like the talent they have. I think they've got a dynamic player at quarterback. Oh. I think that they've got a coaching advantage a lot of weeks with Billy Napier. Yeah. And I think that a lot of his – in Florida on the recruiting trail is doing great now, right? I don't feel like Cedric Baxter to them is a realistic thing, to be completely honest, right? But they seem to be trending with Cormani McLean, like. But I think what happened was early – there was almost a fear of Billy Napier being out of his depth because they were losing a ton of recruiting battles against the other schools in the region. Right. And uh, you know, just kind of overlooked the fact that he's a damn good ball coach. And I think a lot of Utah as a program and as a team this year, I didn't think Utah looked about it at all. I just thought Anthony Richardson was a baller. Talk about a guy, too, that that fan base has just really embraced. And he's bought into them. they bought into sure. him. And I think it works that way. He's a guy that we saw it at Louisiana Lafayette, that, that guys, people believe in. He was named as, like, a bright young coach for a reason. And I, I, I'm i looking forward to it, man, because college football is better when Florida's good. And a guy like him, is, is he's pretty easy to root for. I think he'll be the – if things go how I think they will this year, he will win the Dave Aranda Award for just the media is in love with him. Great point. Um, can I do you have any other week one, or can we talk some week two yeah. matches? Can, can I go to the stinky side of week one? Oh, please. Can we relegate Iowa? I, I Again... This is a little bit of a meme, so I don't want – I some of our fans might not like it, but they play like terrorist football. Like – It's awful. It is truly – like it should not be allowed. There should be a – there should be some sort of decree. It, this Again, this is the NCAA's lack of leadership showing up one more time. This should have been outlawed. And the Big Ten is held up by Ohio State, occasionally Penn State, occasionally Michigan – but, man, when you get into the middle, like for the Big Ten being talked about as like the second power conference behind the SEC, yep. 
it's like when you get past that first layer, it's a lot of, uh, and it's, it's like, wait, this is your man's. This is the guy that's been going nine and three every year that who had to have a field goal and two safeties to score seven points and beat South Dakota state, a great FCS program. But again, A&M blew the doors off of a great FCS program in Sam Houston state. And it was, you know, there's some cause for concern. Like regardless, it's just, Oh, I did like that. At least Iowa fans seemingly were like enough. Yeah. And Wisconsin does the same stuff. You know, Nebraska appears they're on track to do it. Illinois. Like it's just uh, Indiana. Yeah. Minnesota. And when PJ Fleck at first had it cooking a little bit and, Again, I unfortunately had a Tanner Morgan over passing yards prop, and I had to look myself in the mirror, just like, dude, what are you doing? I think that people, um, people who which, hire you know what, oh, in the Big Ten, I think your audio cut out. Oh, sorry. I think people in the Big Ten who are doing the hiring, they need to go the route of like Purdue. Let's, let's yes, exactly. Let's not go get another Big Ten guy. Let's go get a guy that has, like, I, I hate to say his name on here and I don't want him coaching again, but go get an Art Bryles type who can, who's just going to flip you on your head of what the other teams are used to defending. Who cares if they recruit 290-pound defensive end? Go beat them with speed. I just I, – it's, it's yeah. wild to me. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what the worst part about it is, Mike? What's that? I was going to beat Iowa State for like the twelfth straight year this week. Yeah, that's that's sad. Sad to see. It's um, going to be it's going to be twelve to somehow they're going to score like six point three. Like it's just going to be one of the uglier games, and it was joked about because it turned into a little bit of an intriguing matchup with uh, some teams over the years, but it will truly earn up to the El Asico name that it was given. Yeah, week two, a couple local games interest me. I thought App State had – I thought they were going to pull it off against North Carolina in a while. They should have. I don't think they beat A&M, but I don't think it's it's also the cakewalk anybody thinks it might be. They've got an offense that can score, and if they're the kind of team that they can kind of put up uh, points in bunches and if Haynes King kind of struggles to stay consistent they might be able to jump out a score or two so I think that's something to watch for the other one is Houston and Tech I think that was a you know uh, Joey McGuire got his first win last week um, but I'm really interested to see how they handle a a really good Houston team my worry for the App State kind of hipstery pick and I know you're not saying that they're going to win but it's almost like AM's defensive backs and their defensive line is so good that I just worry. I just worry that they're not going to be able to score and then it's just going to snowball because that ab state defense did look pretty bad against uh, UNC. Um, another game that I'm kind of interested to see how does UTSA respond from that heartbreaking loss uh, against Houston and Triple OT? They have to go on the road to West Point for an 11 a.m. game. Tough team to play. Like there's there's no look ahead to Texas because if you don't if you don't have full preparation for the triple, like you're gonna get you're gonna get worked. Every Texas fan should be a UTSA fan this week because you do not want a 0-2 oh, two. Two roadrunner team that 
you know, Jeff Trailers trying to get to believe coming into Austin a week after you, you know, may lose by 30 to, to Alabama. You don't want to agree. Let them get that win against Army and, and kind of feel good, not panicked and in a corner. Tennessee Pitt, I, 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 you know this. I've kind of fallen in love with this Tennessee program. And, yes, a lot of it does have to do with the fact that uh, Nico Yamaliava is one of my favorite quarterback prospects I've ever evaluated. But Heupel just runs a lot of great stuff. Our boy, Coach Eck, on the defensive side of the ball that we ran into in Friendswood over the spring, they do a lot of stuff well. And they're going to get a pit team that just uh, won the backyard brawl. And, uh, oof, I don't know. Yeah, that should be a fun one. Anything else that jumps out to you before we get before we get here? There was one. Oh, Kentucky, Florida is going to be a banger more than likely. Like our Arizona State, Oklahoma State, just rapid fire. I think is going to be really interesting. Oregon State, Fresno. Oregon State looked awesome. Uh, Mississippi State, Arizona, and then probably Texas fans the most uh, relevant. Baylor going on the road to BYU. We'll. Find out pretty quickly the level of this Baylor team. What about this? Um, I know South Carolina has been a bit of a darling for people. They travel to Fayetteville to play Arkansas. I, after week one, I am very much uh, – I, I don't know what the spread is. I can look it up, but very much feeling like the Hogs are going to – I mean, they're well-tested after a Cincinnati team that uh, – no, they don't have the star players. I think, you know, what, they lost nine or so to the draft, but – um, still a good program, and who boy, Arkansas. I mean, South Carolina did not look good week one. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they they just crushed it. Um, Arkansas eight and a half. Yeah, tough tough start for Spencer Rattler. It looked like twenty three thirty seven for two twenty seven, a touchdown, two interceptions. So, yeah, I I mean, it's tough to win in Fayetteville, as we learned last year. So, in <laughs> week two, especially. Yeah, week two in Fayetteville, Un- impossible. They're undefeated in week two. <laughs> um, just other regional rival. Oklahoma has a seemingly layup game against Kent State before they play Nebraska next week. Yeah, and I thought Oklahoma looked really good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Against UTEP, but they were pretty sharp offensively, man. They looked like uh, they hadn't missed a beat. And so it's, I, it's fair because we were very skeptical of them in the preseason to say that they did what they should have done. And I thought Dylan Garrett yeah. pretty dialed in. Absolutely. I think that's by far the way to take that result. It's, you know, similar to the ULM game, right? Like you can handle business or you can do a <laughs> South Carolina and look kind of shaky. Yep, or, or an Auburn too. Oh, not, not thrilled about how Auburn looks this year. I think I missed the Auburn result. Uh, they kind of played with their food against Mercer. TJ Finley went from, I believe, having full reign of the offense to now they're, they're going to go 50-50 with our boys at Kelsaw. <laughs> um, okay. I know we've said this is it a million times. This is really it because it's getting late. It We're is. recording our second show of the night. I've got to edit them both. Yeah. But – I don't think we can really get out of here without talking about LSU. <laughs> I mean, holy shit! How did we not? Again, sorry for the cussing, but how did we not talk about it? And by the way, the um, the LSU like the virus. Have you seen the video going around of 
Brian Kelly in the press conference? I, so I felt bad because at first I was like being a member in the meeting. I still think you shouldn't say it right about the winning comment, but I didn't realize that he was early to his press conference. And the person who said it was like also early, like she was not late. And she's a friend of mine and she's a former Orange 24 seven intern for a brief period of time a member of the Daily Texan, a graduate of Texas, Leah Van. And, and I didn't I, realize that's who it was. She's a girl, uh, somebody that I've tried to mentor a little bit and help yeah. out where I can. And um, we've created a friendship online of just talking back and forth and, and passing notes. And I've helped her kind of get up to speed on LSU recruiting and things like that. But when I saw it and I heard her voice, I was, I, I texted her. I was like, Leah. And she told me the whole story, but it was, uh, it was uh, it was quite funny, but man, that game was a insane, and it was b like it's going to be a really fun result. Like when people think about it, but yeah, I think we saw two like seven and five, eight and four. It was it was, it was a mid off. Yeah, it was, it was mid off as can be, and I, I I don't know what to think of LSU, man. Like I'm Jaden Daniels did some stuff where I was like, oh, okay. But I was I I was not thrilled with Jaden Daniels. And I thought there was a lot of local media being like, you know what? People are complaining about Jaden Daniels when he had the majority of the like he had all but 70 yards of offense. And it's like, yeah, that's the problem. Not a great thing. And not getting regardless of how locked in and he had some opportunities, but not going to Kayshawn Booty early was just infuriate. Like there's just so many elements of this to where it's just like. Have you ever seen a player, and maybe he proves me wrong, have you ever seen a player just kind of quit on the field like Deshaun Booty did? Uh, Texas fans are going to be screaming B.J. Foster. Yeah. But, I mean, Booty removed all the – An all-American. From his social – you know, a lot of people are talking about him just opting out. (laughs) It's – it's wild. I thought, I thought national recruiting analyst uh, for us at 24-7 Sports, Cooper Patanga, actually had a great little clip that he posted on Twitter about that, just being kind of sick of it, which agreed. Um, but, man, that is that is some wild stuff. I cannot believe that. Do you, Mike, do you know the meme about LeBron James kind of lying and saying, like, th- that LeBron James, for instance, would be like, man – uh, that Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes and Jimmy G, I actually drew the play up in my head and told my boys, like, hey, they're going to run this exact play. Do you know that meme? Yeah. I unfortunately have a very true version of that in that I was going to text our group text or tweet multiple times on the LSU game-winning drive. They're going to pull a Nick Rose. They're going to go down, score with time expired, and miss the field, the extra point. And for some reason, I just didn't pull the trigger on it. And I never said it publicly or in our group until now because it's just been stewing. But I literally, the entire way, thought that it was going to happen and just didn't pull the trigger on the take. Ah. Well, make sure this week, HUD, when you have a take like that in your mind, get it off and, and get it on the record. See, th- I was baiting you into saying that clip, so now I'm liable. I'm not liable. So I can just clip it and be like, hey, Mike told me to pull the trigger on the take. And you're like, no, not saying that, you know, Sark should be fired, which I would never uh, right after a game. I'm saying genocide is good. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. All right. I think that'll do it. 
uh, another <laughs> we're, to, to pull back the curtain we've recorded this in the state of recruiting in back-to-back sessions so i've been sitting here in, in the office for about four hours now like going through exactly that. and now i've got um, to hit them at um 1 30 in the morning well mike i appreciate you a ton for it i again feels like a banger of an episode of talking texas it's been a blast um the good well, news is because i don't have to be the host and i can just fire takes and exactly. When I do the state of recruiting, I have to sit in the host chair, make sure we're moving forward and doing all things. I like this a lot more. I actually think I'm probably better at this than I am at the other. Hell yeah. Well, for Hudson Standish and Mike Roach, this has been Talking Texas. Appreciate everybody for listening in.